This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 137 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We're going to be finishing off our hashtag Future Belt series as we're now just three days away from the Sun Belt expansion becoming official. We've heard from Marshall, James Madison, and Southern Miss. And now to give us the Old Dominion perspective, we're joined by Aaron and Mike of the Monarchists Podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to the Thursday Night Podcast. How are you doing today? Awesome. Thanks Thanks for for having us. So I guess starting off, we can... uh just kind of go into what made you guys start this. And then I guess even before that, your guys' connection to ODU. Mike, why don't you start us off, man? So I'm an ODU alum. Uh, I went there a little older in life. Uh, I have a degree from Tennessee, went there, worked for a little while, came back to school and switched careers to accounting. Um, And from there, I became a fan of ODU. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a different pathway. I grew up in the area here, but I actually went away to school, joined the Navy, saw the world, came back, then started dating my wife. And at the time, Old Dominion basketball was fun, and it was uh, an affordable way to do things. As we started going to games, and then that turned into season tickets, and then we started football in 2009, and we bought season tickets. So we kind of adopted ODU as our school in our backyard. And it's just become, uh, you know, our our love, our school. Although, you know, we're we're alumni of uh, Mary Washington, William and Mary, and UVA. We call ODU home now. As for I just the, want to say I do love the name. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, the Monarchist was started a few years ago as a private message group on Twitter during a very 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 bad football season um did mike say very yeah it was it was a rough year so i got the group this group together and started i was dming all of them separately and it was just inefficient so i put them all in one group so i could share information i was getting on what was going to happen with coaching staffs or what was or wasn't going to happen uh we ended up becoming good friends and DMing about every every day about whatever. Um, that translated into us becoming a tailgating group. And then it resulted in us becoming a fundraising group. Um, we've had a couple of baseball fundraisers now where we've now raised over $20,000 for the baseball team in the last year. Um, we helped raise $30,000 for uh, to send students to the bowl game in Myrtle Beach this year. So we, we've and we also do an annual Toys for Tots fundraiser that uh, has been pretty successful. We do that during the Oyster Bowl. But uh, this past spring, me and Aaron were talking about podcasts. Why does an ODU have one? And we just came to the conclusion of, why don't we just start one? And here we are. And Mike, as of today, it's almost $25,000 now for baseballs. We were pretty excited about that. That just started as a grassroots effort with uh, our group, just our friends that Mike was talking about after last year's baseball season. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about particular sports that ODU has, but uh, your listeners might not be aware of last season, or not this past season, but the season before, Old Dominion led the nation in home runs. And so when that season ended, um, 
you know, we thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if everybody who enjoyed watching our baseball team this year donated a dollar for every home run, we could raise a little bit of money for the, the baseball team. We called it Dollars for Dingers. It picked up a little traction. And within a couple of weeks, we raised almost $10,000 just from us, our group, just putting out messages on Twitter and talking to people. Um, you know, the news picked up on it, the local news, a couple of the, the channels. So we decided we were going to do it again this year and just become an annual thing that our group did. It was so successful that um, ODAF, that's our athletic foundation, um, you know, partnered and let us use a little bit of uh, crowdfunding technology, which made it a little bit easier to track this year. And we went from raising about 10,000 to we're over 14,000 this year. So just trying to support uh, the baseball team and, and appreciation for what they did there. Um, so there's just some of the things that our group does other than going and being avid fans. I definitely feel like I remember hearing about that fundraiser. So, you know, kudos to you guys for, you know, that sort of just like, hey, here's an idea. And, it, you know, turning into something like, like the ripple effect of that and the reach of that is kind of incredible. You know, like Brady and I are, you know, big um, MLB fans. And I, I feel like I remember during draft season last year, like just hearing just very randomly about this. Oh, this ODU fundraiser is going on. So, again, kudos to you guys for that. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, we, um, you know, we've been lucky that some of our, our sports alumni um, and our current coaches, people who don't really have anything to gain from it, jumped on board. Our head coach, Ricky Ronnie, some of his staff jumped on. Last year, Kent Bazemore, one of our, you know, Basketball Hall of Fame kind of guys, um, saw it, contributed. Um, you know, it's 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 been a blessing, and we hope that it's is something that we can build off of uh, and continue to support ODU. Well, I guess jumping into the <clears throat> the present day, so to speak, we're now less than a week away from ODU and the rest of the teams joining the Sun Belt officially on July 1st. So where are ODU fans at now that the move is very, very imminent? Uh, I, don't, I don't think our fan base could be any more excited than we are. Uh, we get to renew a rivalry with GMU. We get to uh, challenge ourselves with a really great regional division with Coastal, which is – we sent uh, 5,000-plus fans there uh, this past December for the bowl game. So we love to go to Myrtle Beach. Uh, we get to renew our basketball rivalry with you guys, which is going to be fun. Um, we get to maybe finally beat Georgia Southern. They broke our hearts twice in the FCS playoffs. That triple option gave us fits. Now they're not running anymore, and maybe now we can uh, shove it down their throats a little bit. Um, so we're—I think—we're really, really excited about this. Uh, the makeup of the eastern half of the Sun Belt. Um, the whole league is great, but th that eastern half is what really sells it to us. Yeah, we're pretty stoked about it. Not only new opportunities for geographic rivalries, but bringing back an old rival. I mean, an old basketball rival in JMU, um, but a heated yet short rivalry in football. So we've played JMU twice in football in our short existence. So it started hot and it ended quickly with us going to Conference USA. I will say that we've never lost at football to JMU. And we're, we're also well, very, I very excited that we will not need a – complicated 
process to find out what game, what channel our games are actually going to be on, whether it's Facebook, Stadium, BN, YouTube. The amount of networks we were on in Conference USA was dizzying. It, it was ridiculous. And now we just know it's going to be on one of the ESPN family networks. It's probably going to be on ESPN Plus. If not, it's on something else. Oh, it'll be pretty easy to figure out. Yeah, the ESPN allure is definitely something that multiple I've seen from multiple fan bases who are joining it. Um, I should all just, in the interest of uh, declaring interest and all, the, we had the JMU guys on a couple weeks ago, and they made it clear that you guys had talked about the big rivalry and that they wanted that win against you guys this year. We are staying neutral on the Thursday Night Podcast. That game, <laughs> you guys work it out between you guys. We're not picking a side. You guys work it out in the East. Uh, maybe at the at the point of it happening, it might be relevant to Georgia State's interest to have one of the teams lose in the standings, but we'll let that play out how it goes. We're not picking the side between these two Virginia schools uh, at all. Beat, beat Georgia Southern as much as you'd like, though. <laughs> Absolutely. like we yeah, were, Not staying know, neutral on that one. If you're trying to get anywhere, yeah, that, that one we're fine with. I had a feeling that was the case. So kind of sticking with football, uh, it was kind of a crazy run there for ODU at the end of last year, leading to that bowl game. I think it was the last four games. One went from two to six, two and six to six and six, and went to the Myrtle Beach Bowl, like you said. So what kind of spawned the late season run? And I guess did it kind of recover some good feelings to where everyone's happy about Coach Ronnie going into year three and going into Sunbelt? So to start off, uh, Ricky – we had the COVID season where we didn't play. Um, that was kind of out of the school's hands. Um, but it gave the team an opportunity to kind of him to instill his offense, bring in his players. And then last year we, we had the youngest coaching staff in college football. We had the youngest team in college football, over 60 freshmen with zero college football experience. Um, but from game one, you could tell a difference in the new ODU football team. The wins didn't come immediately, but they were hitting harder. They were blocking harder. They just weren't – the passing game just wasn't there. And as soon as the quarterback change came, so did the wins. Um, but we – if any real OD fan could have seen the progress that was happening on the field in real time. So we were already kind of optimistic about the future before those wins came, but that just made it a lot more optimistic about the future. Yeah, they were getting better each week as well. You could see the confidence grow. Um, you could see the speed of the game start to slow down a little bit. And like Mike was talking, I mean, we've been there since the start. Um, obviously, we we have uh, some football history with you guys as well. Um, but like I told Coach Ronnie when um, we had him on the podcast earlier earlier this year, said we could actually feel the game in the stands now you never did before you're watching a game but like mike was saying the speed and the intensity of which this team brings um that i think the defensive side of the ball is a bit underrated those guys are growing but um it's it's completely different than what we were used to in uh, say the first 10 years of old dominion football um the future is super bright we have an incredibly difficult season this year. So if someone is measuring the season success purely on wins or losses, it might not be a good metric to do that. Uh, it is, it is a brutal schedule 
And I guess we'll have to see how things play out. I wanted to ask you guys, you know, because obviously you mentioned Old Dominion started back in, you know, 2009. So it's a little bit earlier than Georgia State, um, but around the same time, obviously, you know, there was a similar transition from FCS to, uh, sorry, I mean, you guys were in the CAA, you know, there was a transition to FBS, like you mentioned. How has the fan base responded and grown over the years with that transition? You know, and like, what is your perception, you'd say, of, you know, the tradition that goes on with ODU football as they sit here today? So early on, I mean, we we hit the ground running in FCS. Um, I think our first year in the CAA, we were top 10 in the country. Um, We ended up hosting, I think, Coastal whooped whooped their tails um and so it was the hottest ticket in town for the first for the for the fcs period um and then they slowly worked through the waiting list and once that evaporated um we started we were in fbs and reality hit us Um, we had a 10 win season in fbs but other than that it's been about five six wins most years um and I, we kind of stagnated. I think um, tickets got more expensive because of FBS football, but then the quality went down because we're playing tougher competition and we stuck with our old staff too long. Um, so I, I think it stagnated the fan base a little bit. And then now we're going to start seeing growth again. Um, this offseason, they've said they've already sold 9,500 tickets. We had Wood on our podcast last week, and he said that uh, our numbers back when we were in the FCS peaked at 14,000 season tickets. So we're hoping we can get back there. But after having a one-win season and having a year where we didn't even play football, we have some uh, repair work to do to get back some of the fans we've lost over the years. Yeah, when when we had Wood on, he said that we had about four thousand more season tickets to sell. They really haven't marketed it at all uh, this season yet. That's going to happen, I think, uh, later in July. But the one thing, you know, Mike talked about kind of three things that happen with the football and kind of our regression. Is that move to the to the uh, conference USA? Um, it's quite a disjointed conference, and the rivalries. We're just not there. It's very, very difficult for our fans to connect when you're playing, you're going to El Paso, you're playing UTSA or FIU. I mean, people don't, people don't work with people who have degrees from UTEP. It just doesn't happen. Whereas, you know, I'm sure Mike can walk around his place of employment and run into multiple people that went to JMU um, or, you know, other institutions that are in a sunbelt, um, and get excited about those particular rivalries. So, uh, a waning comp- competitive, uh, football team and those other things and not really caring about who you're playing has just, you know, made it a total rebuild effort for coach Ronnie. Fortunately, I mean, he and his staff are doing a hell of a job and, um, uh, I think we're really lucky to have have those guys. You know, and we were really spoiled in the CAA with rivalries. So it was really easy to see that stark contrast from going to – from playing VCU, George Mason, 
JMU, William and Mary, to playing our closest team is Charlotte, um, which is not really close at all to Norfolk. Um, so that was really stark. Now we're going to go back to this position where we actually do have regional rivalries that people care about. One thing about Charlotte is they weren't good at anything. So even though they were close to us, they weren't good at football. They weren't good at basketball, the two sports we care the most about. They had a good baseball team last year, but other than that, there wasn't enough to get the fans really excited to, to beat them. Uh, now we're going to a conference where we know App, Coastal, GMU are all teams that we want to play. They're all good. They all bring quality programs. Marshall is good at a lot of things. We already have a – we were kind of building a basketball rivalry with them. Now we need to do it on the football side, and we were the ones not carrying the water on that. So before we left football, I did want to, you know, go back to the Georgia State ODU history with football, which I don't think we want to spend too much time on because it didn't go great for Georgia State. But oh, we can, my we can first talk about year that. at Georgia State was 2012. My first year at Georgia State was 2012, so it was the last year that they played – and I knew Taylor Heineke because I went to Brookwood High School in Gwinnett County. He went to Collins Hill, and they played each other when he was in high school, and he was breaking the state records in Georgia as a quarterback. And so I remember he was at OU going to that game, and it was, I believe, the last game of the year or the second last game of the year, something like that. And so I was sitting there knowing, like, this game's not going to go well. This guy's a really good quarterback, and obviously he's still in the NFL as of right now. So bared out the truth there. And I think 53-27 was the score of that game. And so me and Jordan probably have memories of that game that we've both mostly blocked out. <laughs> yeah, Taylor Taylor masked all of our defensive holes. Uh, he masked a lot of offensive deficiencies we had as well. Um, one thing we learned after the transition to the new staff was how simplified that old offense was. Um, it was really like 12 plays with just a bunch of different uh, – formations so it was the same like 12 plays over and over again when you get to fbs and you're still doing that it's going to get found out pretty quickly especially when you don't have a, a maestro a quarterback like taylor heineke so, so switching gears to the next sport uh, the one that just ended basically uh baseball uh last year odu made a regional this year ODU probably should have made a regional and the committee is going to have to answer for their sins as far as that goes. But I guess what's brought back this return to glory that you've been able to get to and what's the feeling about joining? What is it? Very good Sunbelt baseball league, especially when you're also adding a team like Southern Miss. So we're definitely excited about joining the Sunbelt baseball league. We, we know there's going to be a lot of good competition, but we're pretty confident in what Finney has been doing. He's been slowly building building and building and building. And um, what he usually does, we'll have like one rough season and then two to three competitive years. Um, we just weren't as competitive early on with the Florida schools and Southern Miss and Rice. Uh, that turned the corner. That COVID year where everyone got to stay really helped us because we had a lot of great players that were juniors coming back for another junior year. So you got 22, 23-year-olds coming back, playing as juniors, and they just started mashing. Like, it just started to connect for those guys. And then they get to come – most of them came back for this year. Um, we, we had one of our baseball guys on recently, 
but he was shocked at how many of the guys weren't drafted or signed as undrafted free agents. But that's another COVID thing. They re- reduced the amount of rounds in the draft, and that helped us. So um, we are flipping a lot of the roster coming into the Sun Belt. So it's anyone's guess how well they'll perform next year. But the way they're recruiting is at a new level that's never been seen at ODU. Um, more ranked guys than ever before. They got some really good JUCOs coming in. Hopefully they'll be able to compete like they did last year, but it's anyone's guess with how much turnover we're going to be seeing this, this offseason. Yeah, just to build on what Mike said, that's one of, one of the things that uh, has been very easy to see with those Chris Finwood ball clubs is those teams are tight. I mean, those guys love each other. They're really, really close-knit um, teams. And so with the turnover and, and new faces coming in, I think that'll be one of the early challenges is just getting those guys all together um, and kind of moving in the right direction at the same time. But, I mean, that staff has shown that they can do it. I mean, each and every year that the program just builds and builds and builds the uh, energy around it. And, I mean, I know this isn't necessarily on the field, but the the, the program feels like a family. Um the parents of former players still come to games. Uh, we get to see them all the time and build relationships, and they're out. Even though you know their sons have graduated or might be playing in the majors or the minor leagues, they're still coming out and cheering for the you know their friends that are still on the team. So um, there's just a special energy around the ballpark and around around the club uh, that I think really truly makes a difference. And it's resulted in um, a new stadium campaign to renovate the stadium. Um, so they're trying to raise $20 million. They kicked this off after last season. So last season, the reason we were a number one seed and the first in like 15 years to not host because our stadium just wasn't up to NCAA standards for hosting a regional. Um, so it, it kicked off the dollars for dingers. That was a big part of us starting that off. But it also started off a new thing with the school where they did uh, a feasibility study and they came to the number of 20 to $22 million. Uh, what's you look told us last week that they already have 17 and a half million raised. So that'll start the, those shovels will hit the ground after next baseball season. So we're really excited about what has happened with baseball and the future at ODU. It's great. That stadium is right on the – oh, sorry about that, Brady. No, good. Good. No, what I was going to say is our baseball stadium is right on campus. So it's it's tucked right in there, which is nice. And when we have the, the new facility, I think it's just going to bring another piece to the kind of the campus uh, – master plan is not the right word, but it's just another piece of what's making that campus a great place to be. And the students – uh, can get to the games more easily. And with the new stadium, I think that it's going to be something that uh, that pays dividends for uh, fan engagement and, and helping the team out. The only, the only other thing I wanted to mention on ODU baseball is doing this research for this, I will admit ignorance and not knowing that Justin Verlander had gone to ODU. And so – yeah, I think right now as things stand, maybe the most prolific alum of the Sunbelt baseball program would have been Paul Goldschmidt went to Texas State. 
So I think ODU's coming into the conference and might be nabbing that one for themselves because obviously JV is well on his way to a, probably a trip to Cooperstown before too long when he retires. Uh, but, you know, I guess. Well, that brings how, up another point. I don't know if you guys. Yeah, go ahead. That brings up another point. In the last three years, we've had at least, I think it's six major leaguers from ODU. Um, we only have 15 all time. So Finney in the last three years has produced at least six major leaguers. Um, it's pretty remarkable when you think about that in the grand scheme. It kind of tells you what he's been doing these last few years. Uh, and we got a few in the in the works that'll be there soon. Uh, we have yeah, one, one, that's one today, making, right? Yesterday. Yeah. Well, he he was on the roster yesterday, but today he's making his debut as a DH for the Royals. Vinny Pasquantino. The dude mashes. Oh, he's an ODU guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. David loves him. Yeah. David, I, I, I found gonna, out about him, basically. And... I was going to say that I – because I remember when I was younger, like, really figuring out, I was like, where did Justin Verlander come from? Like, what is ODU? And then I feel like over the years I've heard, you know, a slow trickle of, like, ODU baseball players. And then when I, I – today I saw somebody tweet about Vinny, um, and I was like, oh, this guy's like ODU is coming into the Sun Belt. I I've never heard of this dude before, but here we are today. Just and I like looked up his last few years, and I was like, how have I never heard of this? All this dude does is hit. Like, what what is happening here? So yeah, David, you know. I see your jersey there. You've got one of oh. our monarchs as well. I think I'm I. Oh, so forgive me, but I've I've been racking my brain for the minor league system and the MLB roster, and I can't think of one. But I know that there's somebody from ODU, like very prominent in the Cubs, and I, I just PJ Higgins. There you go. There you go. See, see. I yep. I knew like it, it's it's weird because I don't know any. I didn't know before. I guess last year when I really started paying attention because you guys are obviously coming to the Sun Belt. I didn't know much about the other sports in relation to ODU. Like, yeah, you know, we, we follow a lot of the power five schools when they have a good year. So, you know, that one basketball season where you guys are really good, I'm sure we paid attention to it, but I know from just being an avid baseball fan that I've seen and heard of ODU, the school so much because of baseball and, you know, it's just incredibly small world that obviously ODU is joining the Sun Belt now. I never thought I would actually have to pay attention to them, you know, in a, in a serious way, but, you know, obviously we have to now like ODU baseball is, you know, this Sun Belt baseball is no joke anymore. So I said six, Vinny will be the seventh ODU major leaguer this season. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough, Justin Verlander, Connor Overton, who really started out hot for the Reds before he got injured. Jared Koenig, Daniel Hudson, PJ Higgins, and Vinny. Um, so it's pretty. It's been a banner year for ODU baseball, and the future is really bright for us. I think. And we'll add a former, another former ODU baseball player. It's one of the uh, preeminent Major League Baseball podcasters, Ben Verlander. Flipping bats. Ben Verlander puts out some good stuff. So even though he's not a baseball player, you know, we'll allow it. We'll count it. Oh, he played. He's not in the majors anymore, but he's, right. exactly. he's got a good That's history. I mean. He absolutely does. So, you know, in moving on to the next sport, I think anyone 
anyone from Georgia State listening to this now will have been familiar most with ODU from basketball because there was a good two-time home-and-home series. They played four times in the middle of the last decade. Each time the home team won, so it was a 2-2 split, and it kind of represented that both programs were in a good spot and just were able to defend their turf. But it was, I think, some of the better non-conference tests those years for each of the teams, I'm sure. Definitely for Georgia State, and I'm sure the other way for ODU. And so, you know, Coach Jones is still there. And last year, last the last year in Conference USA, it probably didn't go to anyone's hopes. But I guess is there hope that it was a blip and that things will be kind of getting back on track as you're now going into Sunbelt and men's basketball? Aaron, do you want to start off or do you want me to? Hey, man, you've done a great job starting off. Why don't you start off and I'll bring it home. All right. So last year we had a leadership issue, um, according to Coach Jones. We don't know what it was, but they were terrible on the road, even worse on neutral courts, and they were pretty good at home. Um, they beat some, they had, I think they won, was it 15 games? Ten of those were at home. Um, they were just night and day at home in a way. Um, this offseason, he's done a complete roster flip. I think there's like seven or eight new guys on the team. Um, it's a gamble. He's got two years left on his deal. As college sports fans, we all know you don't let a coach go when he only has one year left on his deal. So this is a make-or-break season for Jeff. He's going to need to win. What the barometer for winning is for uh, the athletic department, we don't know. But I think any ODU fan will tell you we expect to – if he doesn't make a tournament this year, he should go. Um, but with that many new players, it's going to be difficult. Uh, a lot of transfers, JUCOs. Uh, we have one freshman. It's it's going to be a lot to kind of intertwine that and have a successful year. But who knows? We don't – Conference USA said so we won about the RPI and the net. It was a pretty good basketball league at the top. There were some really quality teams in that league. Um, the bottom was really bad, but the top was pretty, pretty darn good with Western Kentucky, UAB, North Texas. Uh, Louisiana Tech is usually pretty good. Marshall had some good teams. And ODU was consistently good throughout our history in the country, USA. It's just those last two years where kind of saw the decline. If I had to guess, I would say this is probably his last year at ODU. Yeah, I, I, the proof is in the pudding. It's all going to be dependent upon how things come together. And that is a, it's a heavy lift to have that much turnover and to be able to bring those guys together into a cohesive unit. Now, Jeff's got a lot of experience in, you know, building teams and X's and O's, so anything can happen, and I hope it's a phenomenal season. I mean, there's a lot of upside for the fellows coming in, and more importantly, the the players that remain, a lot of them are young and have a lot of promise. Uh, they didn't necessarily get a ton of time on the court last year, um, but they're committed to the team. They stuck around. And in our podcast with Jeff, he mentioned how hard those players who stuck around helped to recruit the new players coming in. You know, it would be very easy for those players to not want to do that because, of course, they want to play. Um, 
but Jeff said there wasn't any of that, and they really, really came together to try to make that happen. So, um, you know, time will tell on how how that goes. I think we need to start the season off quick, and and uh, not struggle out of the gate. If we struggle out of the gate, um, then I think fans will be uh, not happy about that. Um, so yeah, it could it's, snowball. I'll, I'll add this: two years ago, or I guess it's two seasons ago now, they really struggled shooting. They were a great defensive team, but they just lost a lot of games close because they couldn't hit threes. They were bad at free throws. Last year, he brings in a bunch of guys that are supposed to be shooters. Um, They were better shooters, but they were worse defensively. So the amount they increased, they improved offensively, was not enough to make up for their defensive uh, uh, deficiencies. So they got worse on defense, slightly better on offense, ended up being a worse product. This offseason, it's clear he's put a focus on long guys that can rebound and defend. Offense might be uh, kind of scary to watch, kind of ugly. It's going to, if you ever watch UVA basketball, it might be reminiscent of that. Um, first team to 45 wins. Um, but he's won with a lot of teams that just play hard, tough defense and rebound. So maybe he'll surprise us. I don't, it's, it's really up in the air. I think that was one of the big, big points that Jeff made with us is the guys that are coming in and the guys that have stuck around are they're intense. They, they go, go, go. And they're coachable, especially the guys coming in from Juco um, the running theme was that they've they've been some places with junior college coaches that coach hard, and those players are all really receptive to coaching. And if you're not receptive to coaching, you don't live well under Jeff. Jeff coaches hard. He's not a touchy feely kind of guy on the court. Um, you know, if you guys have watched ODU, if you've seen Coach Jones coach. Um, he's not a quiet coach. Uh, he lets his players know uh, whether they're doing a good job or they're not where they're supposed to be on the court, uh, along with everybody else in the arena. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. It's the first day that season tickets come out, I'll have my season tickets and I won't miss a game, uh, no matter how good or how much we struggle. Um, I know Mike is the same way. But uh, I think Coach Jones said it best is uh, talk is cheap and their results on the court are going to have to tell the story uh, this year. Oh, this we're really excited to play you guys again. Um, we know you guys have been kind of the basketball power in the Sun Belt since you joined. So it's exciting to come back and kind of renew our games against you guys because they were so good. Yeah, yeah, now we got a new shiny arena to show off. Hit those shots. <laughs> I know that's what I hear. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, and the renderings look great. Yeah, talking of loud coaches, we've gone now through. We obviously, you guys would have been familiar with Ron Hunter because the t- behind the play, but also because of falling off the stool and everything. And it's probably one of the more loud, boisterous personalities in college basketball. And then the last coach we had, Rob Lanier, was very much the opposite cut from a totally different cloth. And so we're waiting now to figure out in year one exactly what type of coach Jonas Hayes is going to be. And my gut is it's going to be somewhere in the middle because I don't think he's any, you know, 
Ron Hunter is one of a kind personality wise. Um, and uh, I, so I don't think he's going to necessarily get to those levels, nor do I want anyone to try and be Ron Hunter, but interested to see how that works out for uh, coach Hayes. Uh, and I guess I just want to know how much sizing up of Sunbelt basketball have you guys done? I mean, it's hard to really know about teams until you play them for a full year. And I know how that was when we joined the Sunbelt. It was kind of like game by game. We're like, oh, that's this team. But looking at it from where you can, have you picked up anything from what you've seen? Looks like Texas State is on the upswing. Um, Louisiana is usually decent. Southern Alabama. Um, Marshall's going to be decent. Uh, JMU, I don't know what's going to happen with them, but they did just build a nice arena. Their recruiting should pick up. I'm not sure they have the right coach, though. Um, other than that, uh, Blanton's decent. We're familiar. He used to be at Southern. Uh, he can coach. We, I don't know if he can get them to the top, but right. he can at least get them to a certain level of good. And the thing that I thought was interesting you were saying about Conference USA being so top heavy is I think that's where George, if, if a couple of teams got that level in the Sun Belt and Georgia State and ODU might be examples of that, it might get to the point where the Sun Belt is where Conference USA is in basketball because. I don't think the bottom is nearly as low in the Sun Belt. I just think there's a problem where there's a ton of teams sitting in the middle. And I think that hopefully injecting a couple of these new programs like you guys and like Marshall that have been good the last decade can maybe spur that and get a couple of teams to rise to the top a little bit more rather than one team maybe a year that's should be the auto bid. And then if they lose, you're looking at like a 15 or 16 seed. I think that's a great point. And, and we just talked with uh, the Sunbelt Commissioner, Keith Gill, and he was talking about that. And I know the Sunbelt has just come out with uh, commitment, and it's an important thing that uh, drive basketball success in the Sunbelt. And getting teams to invest both money into the programs, uh, scheduling to make the Sunbelt basketball conference both on the men and the women's side into a stronger product obviously everything that the the conference has done with regards to football has been awesome i mean that's what everybody truly knows and sees you know in the last few years on tv um but there's no reason why sunbelt basketball can't be the same way and if you get sunbelt basketball to be anywhere remote like what conference usa had been in decent years put that together with a better geographic conference and better rivalries, it'll be way better. I mean, just from that perspective. You just need teams like Coastal to actually care to put money into the program. I mean, they've had that guy for how long now? He hasn't done anything since he left Clemson. Well, uh, 07. Yeah. He's technically the longest tenured Sunbelt coach, but not because they haven't been in the Sunbelt that long, but – he's a legend that's that's the the tough part he's the legend and they keep making postseason or they keep choosing to enter postseason tournaments and doing well so i think he keeps getting enough occurring enough favor to say the program is going to a certain place but yeah i feel like they're in a weird spot with that because it's kind of hard to say like it's time to go to a guy who's literally been coaching since their mid-70s but at the same time you do wonder if there's a governor on that program right now I would imagine there is, based on what I've looked at their record. It's it's not anything I would want to continue to invest in. I wanted to kind of peel back and um, talk about, like, uh, Michael, you mentioned 
last year specifically that Old Dominion, you know, might not have had the season that they wanted to, but they were really good at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk about that because since the Ted Constant Convocation Center opened, you know, we're looking at a team who has been dominant at home. Like I, you know, like this record at home is impressive. 242 wins over a, you know, 19 year period. Like that's, that's very good. So I wanted to ask, what is it about that atmosphere? Do you think kind of leads the Monarchs to play so well at home? Uh, it's a great facility, but uh, it's, it's the fans. It, that place gets loud. Um, even when you, even when we only have like 5,000 fans there, that, that place is still loud. Um, we'll pack it out for certain games. Hopefully we can pack it out for you guys and GMU. I think we will. Um, but the place is loud. And especially in like Conference USA or CAA, there's not that many loud arenas where guys are having to make adjustments and it's going to mess with your communication. You're going to have people telling you you suck as the, the opposing fan. They're going to, they're going to be in your ear all day, all game. So, those are all adjustments players are going to have to make versus a place like Southern Miss where there's no one there. Um, yeah, even even in our most challenging seasons, I don't think we've averaged – I mean, we've averaged right around 5,000 in our low points. So the fans – I mean, we've got committed fans for basketball. Um, they look forward to it all year, and they come out. They buy season tickets, and they show up. Um, you know, the TED is – I mean, you'll see it called the Chartway sponsors it now, but the TED is a great place. Uh, it's a great place to go. We've got a, a crew that rolls deep, and it's just a fun place. They've got a, a, a great uh, environment. Um, they've invested a lot of money in the aesthetics and the scoreboard, um, you know, in the LEDs around everything. So uh, the athletic department has com- uh, continued to invest money in that facility it's one of the top um arenas of its size in the country still um even though it's not one of the newest ones taking a look at just kind of the broadest view with the odu athletic department what are some of the sports we haven't talked about that we should mention about odu that there's some history there some prestige in so we have uh, the most national championships in field hockey, which is not a Sunbelt sport, but we do have the most national championships in field hockey. Um, I think North Carolina is close to catching us, but um, field hockey is that sport for ODU. We were one of the early adopters of Title IX. So women's basketball, we have three national championships in women's basketball, um, one NCAA and then two before it became NCAA. Um Recently, our tennis women's tennis program has been dominant in Conference USA, and I expect that to continue in Sunbelt. Um, we had the coach on recently, and he's very confident moving into the league. Um, they've won; they've they should have gone to four straight NCAA tournaments, but because of COVID, they only have been to three. Um, they're returning pretty much everybody next year uh, on a team that was the doubles team was ranked number one at one point. Um, they went to indoor nationals. Dog decided to tell me it's time to go for a walk. Uh, our golf teams are pretty good, especially the women's golf team. 
we just sent um, for the first time ever someone to nationals, like the national finals. Um, our women's soccer team won Conference USA last year. I mean, we're we're pretty good at everything. We're just it kind of ebbs and flows. Like it's not always going to happen at the same time. Uh, we were really good at men's soccer for most of our tenure in Conference USA until the last two years. Um, that team graduated a ton of guys. And suddenly we were all freshmen and sophomores competing against really good a really good league in Conference USA and now the Sun Belt. So I'll let you take it, Aaron. I think you named about all of them. Uh, we just started women's volleyball up recently. Last year was the I think the first competitive season. Um, so they've got a great program that's starting there and building. That uh, Coach Fred Chow came from Duke, um, so that's exciting. We'll think. We, we think we'll see over the next few years that that becomes a strong program at ODU. And, uh, you know, I know it's not a Sunbelt sport, but we've always had a kind of a storied um, sailing and rowing kind of tradition being on the water here. Um, but they're on, they have to compete in another conference. But like Mike is saying, Old Dominion runs deep in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different sports. It's a fun place to be. That's got to be the first dog to appear on the Thursday night podcast, by the way. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure, yeah. History's been made tonight. And you, know, you left it off with ODU being a fun place to be. So that seems like a nice transition to the last thing I wanted to ask you guys about. Just for any fans that are going to make the trip, the spots you got to get to in the area, and especially any must-eats, any place you got to go restaurant-wise. Man, there's so many of them. How about you guys give us the category, and we'll give you a couple answers for each of them. All right, I'm down with All that. Right, let's All right, it. let's see. Let's do the best burger around campus or in town. All right, it's it's definitely a La Grand Kitchen. They only make one burger, but it's basically the gourmet Big Mac. It's it's amazing. Um, you. You should also add the uh, bacon to it or the egg if you can. Um, it's Coach Ronnie, Big Mac, but sub the pickles for spicy jalapenos. Um, everything else is the same, but just local uh, crafted food. It's just it's it's the best burger I've ever had. Coach Ronnie refers it to it as the fancy Big Mac. He gets it as an appetizer because the menu changes all the time. So he's going to get that as the appetizer. And then order something else off the menu because they are switching it up. And that's that's incredible. And it's it's two blocks from campus, so you can hit that up on a game day, um, most likely post game because it's one of those fancy places. It's only open from five to ten. All right, next style. Yeah. All right, I don't know. Does Virginia do barbecue? Like, I feel like they're south adjacent, so they probably have, like, you know, something like that around there, oh, right? yeah, it depends on what kind of barbecue you like. So there's two great uh, barbecue places near campus. One is Fish and Pig. So obviously they're going to – they have barbecue and then they have seafood. Um, they just opened up. They're pretty awesome. But there's also Redwood Smoke Shack. They do the – they do brisket. They do – pork barbecue. They do all the classics. Uh, Fish and Pig is more of a place you can go and watch a game, drink a beer. Redwood is where you just go to eat and um, pray to the meat gods. 
Meat sweats. I feel like we're encroaching possibly on our friends at Georgia State, City of Atlanta's territory by asking this, but are there any breweries in the area that are worth going to? We are um, swamped with breweries, to be honest. But there's two that are right adjacent to campus. Uh, one is on, they're both on North Collie, which is where most of the restaurants are near campus. One is River Beach. And if you start there, you can hit up Dirty Buffalo, which was on Diners, Drivers, and Dives. Great wing place. You can hit up Kogan's, which is a great pizza spot. Next door to Kogan's is Hank's, which is like an outdoor uh, barbecue place uh, where it's really just a great place to drink. Across the street is Max, which is seafood. You keep going down, you pass the Grand, which we talked about. There's a couple other spots. Coach House is another great diner place. Across from that, at the very end, is Elation Brewing, which their specialty is lagers. It's a huge, uh, used to be a grocery store that's been converted into a brewery. Place is humongous. It's awesome. And they, they make great pizza as well. Mike doesn't know the area at all. No, not at all. I would say, I think that this is now the fourth of the four podcasts we're going to do. And I think that was definitely the most comprehensive of these. You've thoroughly prepped us for, and our listeners for any future trips to Norfolk. And uh, it does sound like what you're talking about. There's, there is a one area that if you want any number of things, it sounds like that couple of streets, that, that area seems like it's going to have what you're looking for. So North Collie is awesome. And and it's really convenient to campus, but if you're coming for a weekend, stay downtown at the main. It's the Hilton. It's a beautiful hotel. They have three restaurants inside the hotel, uh, including a craft beer restaurant that has a rooftop uh, balcony on both sides of it. So you can get views of the whole city from there. Uh, They have a seafood place and an Italian place as well. All three are really good restaurants, but Granby Street, Anything you can think of, they got Chinese food, Mexican food, um, Italian, anywhere you want to take your wife out or your girlfriend, you're going to find it. Steakhouses, anything. So Granby Street, North Collie, those are the two places you want to hit up. Ghent is also popular, but the rent has been hiking and hiking and hiking and kicking out the mom and pops and uh, being replaced by the more chain and boring places in my opinion. Adding hotel recommendations, like just absolutely this, the travel section for this pod has been the best of the four of them. No offense to any other people we've interviewed, but this was absolutely, you know, you've laid down the marker for what to do when visiting ODU for games. And, you know, unless David has anything else to add, I just wanted to say thank you guys for coming on. Uh, Looking forward to seeing how you guys fit in the new Sunbelt. And like you say, reinvigorating that kind of budding rivalry as much as it was possible to be in men's basketball last decade. Uh, Obviously going to be a lot easier now that they're going to be playing at least every year. Thanks so much for coming on guys. Yeah. Good to see you. Thanks fellas. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Always. All right. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. 
So big thanks to Aaron and Mike from the Monarchists podcast for joining us in our final installment of the hashtag Future Belt series. Old Dominion, of course, officially joins the Sunbelt on July 1st, tomorrow as the release of this podcast, alongside the other three incoming ads in Marshall, James Madison, and Southern Miss. We hope you've enjoyed this series of inside looks at Georgia State's new conference mates, and we'll be back next time with more Georgia State sports news and discussion. Have a great week.